Hello and welcome back to the LRBF Trade Finance Podcast. On this week's podcast, we have our Head of Trade and Transaction Banking, Alex Gray, talking to Chris Southworth from the ICC. They're going to be talking about digitalization in trade finance, ICC's work around the world, and the effect on coronavirus throughout the industry. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Alex Gray and I'm the Head of Trade and Transaction Banking here at the London Institute of Banking and Finance. And I'm joined today by Chris Southworth from ICC. Good morning, Chris. Morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And um, we were just going to be talking today about a number of things. Obviously, we can't avoid the whole issue about coronavirus, but we did invite you in to talk about a series of other things uh, regarding like the digital side, the agenda, and the kind of things you're working on. Mm. So maybe we could uh, lead into that. Yep. And you know, obviously, LIBF and ICC work closely together, not only in the UK, but also globally uh, with a number of partnerships. But uh, having you um, actually in London, uh, what is a strange day here in London, to be honest. Uh, I cycled in and you came in on the, the tube, which was very, very quiet, I believe. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's a bit eerie, but we thought, you know, we wouldn't stop doing these podcasts. So thanks so much. So over to you. Maybe we can cover some of the things you're looking at in the ICC, which are busy times. Yeah, I mean, there's a, obviously there's a, there's a lot going on. I think in the, in the context of um, the trade finance community, the, the, the big agendas are really around paperless trade. Uh, that's particularly relevant with coronavirus mm. um, and uh, sustainability. But I think if just focusing on the digital trade agenda, um, we launched, uh, which many will be aware of, the ICC Digital Trade Roadmap uh, last year. Um, and in that roadmap, we set out three pillars of work where we're really focusing efforts. The first pillar is around modernizing the rules. We all know that there's a real issue around scalability uh, and digital trade, paperless trade. Uh, and that's really because there are so many governments all following their own different you know, rules and legislation. Um, so there's two sort of pieces of work going on that we're directly involved with here. One is the WTO e-commerce negotiations. That's about modernizing the rule book um, for 80 plus countries. Um, and actually, in, in the context of coronavirus, those negotiations have been postponed, which is an interesting point because no. they were supposed to come forward in June, uh, July with uh, a report on progress. Um, either way, they will pick up again uh, whenever the time is right. Uh, that's really, really important in terms of the scale. And then here in the UK, we're working with the Law Commission, uh, Ministry of Justice uh, and Department for Digital Trade. Um, to look at English law, uh, which is not um, uh, aligned actually to international best practice at UNCITRAL. So there's an opportunity right now just to remove the remaining barriers uh, to the digitalization of trade documentation, which the banks and uh, uh, have found difficult and uh, on a very, very practical level. So practical things like digital signatures is not, are not allowed. We're still following the rules from the Bills of Exchange Act in 1882. Uh, in Northern Ireland, they're still following the Statute of Frauds Act from 1695. <laughs> you know, so it's historical laws that we're following uh, and just need to be modernised. The good news is there's a real intent to do that. And why is that important? Because uh, here we have the opportunity not just to update laws here in the UK, but set the precedent across the Commonwealth and set the precedent for all the industries using English law as a basis for international contracts. So it's, it's, a, it's a massive opportunity to really push the agenda forward. The second pillar of work is around um, creating standards for digital trade. Um, all these different technology platforms, blockchain platforms, they're all working in isolation because there are no common standards across 
the, the global environment. Um, ICC, to address that issue, has launched this year the, what's called the ICC Digital Standards Initiative. Uh, that's based out of Singapore uh, and will go fully live. At the moment, they're just recruiting the, the leadership team, uh, but will go fully live in the summer. Uh, and that will play a fundamental role in talking to all the different stakeholders to try and align uh, the different standards work going on around the world and will ultimately tra completely transform trade just as uh, we've seen on mobiles where you know Apple and, and Android can talk to each other. That wasn't always the case, yeah. but will become a similar case in trade. And then the third pillar is really much, much more practical around putting the systems in place, supporting companies on training, education, skills work. To, to get ready, fit for purpose for this new world that we're going into. Uh, and of course, that's a, an ongoing piece of work um, uh, and, and a, a big part of the sort of partnership, I think, with, with LIFB uh, and the Institute of Export and others, uh, where we can really help companies and banks, financiers to, uh, to get ready for the future. Yeah, because in, in terms of the, the partnership, we're always, uh, with our my material of, on the education and qualification side, we're always adapting it. And then with the various stuff about digital transformation, we'll have to adapt those more, very much important for our team here to keep all the materials up to date. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I should mention the uh, what's called the uniform rules of digital trade. Uh, within ICC, obviously ICC is a huge animal. Uh, the Banking Commission actually is playing a big part in driving this whole agenda forward uh, through what's called the Digitization Working Group. But there's a, a piece of work going on right now called the Uniform Rules for Digital Trade. Uh, big consultation globally. Uh, that's in its sort of second iteration at the moment and due to report back in, in April. But will be another um, uh, sort of technical rule book uh, that will sit alongside things like EUCP um, which we've already worked on, you know, electronic bills of lading, uh, we've already worked on as well. Uh, and again, we'll help, you know, companies, banks to operate in this new digital world that we're, we're living in. Because one of the things when we first met, and I, for my sort of years of experience in trades, I sort of know ICC for the UCP and mm. URC and uh, that kind of thing. Um, but then I, when I speak, I didn't understand, I now understand the broader breadth of all the work that you do and how important it is, you know, mm. that just in the UK, but in each of your different ICCs around the world. Do you want to maybe expand a bit? Because I think, don't think people are aware of the broader reach you have. Yeah, I mean, ICC, I mean, it all goes back, of course, to uh, post-World War One when, you know, global trade had come to a, a standstill. Uh, that's when ICC was created. Of course, there wasn't the the intergovernmental infrastructure that we see today. Um, straight after uh, World War One, a whole plethora of international institutions uh, were established, including the UN. Much later, the WTO and GATS before it. GATS before it. Um, you know, and ICC was part of that 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 um, sort of drive. Uh, obviously, representing the voice of business uh, at intergovernmental level. But these days, you know, we've got a, a network of 90 plus offices. Uh, you know, we're in over 100 markets. We've got our secretariat in Paris uh, and we cover, you know, um, a whole chunk of policy work from everything from arbitration and dispute resolution through to tax and IP and competition. Banking, obviously, we know trade investment. Um, that's on the sort of policy side of ICC. And then obviously uh, a big part of um, uh, the ICC in general, which is often more well known, is the International Court of Arbitration. You know, they're processing 200 plus billion, you know, dollars of cases a year. It's huge commercial court, uh, and really the sort of the well, it's the biggest court uh, dealing with disputes in the world. 
Uh, and then there's a wider ecosystem of organizations, what I call specialized divisions. And that includes the commercial crime services, uh, which is based here in the UK, dealing with piracy data, uh, you know, commercial fraud and, and working with Interpol and national governments. Um, through to the World Chambers Federation, which represents the voice of Chambers of Commerce around the world. Uh, and then, of course, I've mentioned the Digital Standards Initiative, which is going to focus on standards. So it's, it's a big entity. It's a network organization, covers a, a lot of ground. Uh, and, and therein lies the challenge and the opportunity. You know, it's a big opportunity to uh, really input um, into the global policy dialogue, but also the challenge is to get your head around it uh, pick the bits of ICC that are most relevant uh, and contribute where you can. And of course, that's welcome. Yeah, because um, we have an LIBF, we have relationships in different countries. I've met physically before all this happened. I met people from India, Austria. I've been in touch regularly with Bangladesh and um, the number of countries that I have been meaning to go and visit, but ha haven't yet. So if anybody of those uh, ICC partners are listening, I'm looking forward to coming out to visit you sooner rather than later. Obviously, when uh, that's all open up again, because that in, in, my, in my role, it's about going out to visit the different countries, understand what they need in terms of qualifications uh, and maybe adapting them, but also training, because we're not only looking at the qualifications here at LIBF, we're providing potentially training, which uh, we can do by speaking to the various partnerships. Yeah, so it's a good point that I mean, I, you know, I think ICC is a, um, I mean, it's an incredible network. Um, not just a network of itself, but it's a network of networks. You know, every single ICC uh, office, uh, what they call national committees, has its own national network with all the stakeholders on the ground. Um, uh, and it's the diversity that makes it exciting and challenging at the same time. You know, the, every country has a different set of issues. Uh, no one country is the same. And so, you know, you're getting under the skin of those practical issues and, and where the, the needs are in terms of training, education and and wider policy support, it's, it's challenging stuff. And, you know, at global level, we operate a bit like the UN. We all, we're all kind of lined up as countries in the same, you know, alphabetical order as, as the UN and WTO. I really didn't know that. Uh, and, and, the, and the job is to try and build consensus. And, you know, getting consensus in, in the business community is, is, <laughs> can be just as challenging as it is in, at governmental level. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing organization to work with. And um, you know what was interesting? You mentioned about when ICC was set up, with uh, you know world trade had come to a standstill. Um, you know maybe that's maybe we can sort of segue nicely into sort of stuff about the coronavirus. Um, um, was the with the fact that you know we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, what kind of things you you were talking to me earlier about some of the things that you're working on with the ICC related to that? Is there anything you want to cover? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the coronavirus is, um, I mean, there's sort of two main takeaways for me. Um, one is um, a reminder of how connected we are globally uh, in terms of global value chains. And two is the role of China today. You know, the last crisis, you know, China was 10% of global trade. This time around, it's 20% of global trade and it's 40% of global growth. Uh, it's such a, uh, an important part of the global economy. It's no surprise that we're all working with China. And so, you know, within a, a week or two of that crisis of the, of the virus um, uh, spreading, it wasn't surprising particularly that every continent had been affected. Uh, and of course, we're all dealing with that. Uh, you know, in terms of the top priorities, obviously, we've got to support national governments to, to get the right containment strategies in place to deal with the virus. I think China's done an unbelievably good job 
they have no more new cases, so the new right. cases coming that was in today, uh, wasn't it? The are news. foreigners, apparently, rather yeah. than locals. So it's, they've done. A, there's a lot to learn from how they've dealt with it. Uh, you know, our job now is to support, obviously, in our case, the UK government. Um, uh, and obviously, here we had the big announcement of 330 billion dollar or pounds worth of uh, support for for UK companies. I mean, that's a huge amount of money, but it's a welcome boost to, to confidence. At global level, really, our message is, is very simple. You know, this is a moment for bold action. We want to see, you know, it's not just about domestic financial support for companies, but it's also about, you know, trying to remove as many barriers and, and cost um, uh, uh, barriers uh, within the global economy. Are, you know, obviously international companies are working cross-border. So, you know, keeping the, keeping the flow of medical supplies moving, uh, it's a big moment for the G20, G7 uh, to show some leadership around reversing the trend of putting up trade barriers, which has been going on for the last 10 years. So this yeah. is a, a test of their, their leadership, but it's definitely the moment to, to demonstrate uh, what can be done uh, to remove some of the trade costs. And then on a very practical level in the finance industry, it's, it's really practical things. People are not in the offices, um, and that means that they can't necessarily deal with the documentation that's coming in, can't review the documentation properly can't fulfill regulatory checks properly, um, can't liaise with the different regulators and different bodies and, and stakeholders properly, uh, and can't necessarily affect payments as quickly as, possi- as quickly as they normally would. So, of course, that means there's lots of delays in the system. They wouldn't ordinarily be there. Uh, there's a lot of talk at the moment of, of force majeure. You know, what can we do to help companies if they're in a position where they're not going to be able to fulfill their contracts? So there's a piece of work going on to, to look at how we can help in that area. So it's very, very practical. And then on the plus side, it's, it's, a, it's a moment for, for not just the banking industry, but industry at large to really progress on digitization, you know, working, yeah. whether it's working from home, digital practices. Uh, this is the moment to do it, you know, to test the technologies. And, and I suspect we won't come back the same. You know, we'll come back in a better way um, in three, four months time, maybe, maybe longer uh, when it's over, which will be a good thing in the long run. Because I'm thinking sort of the, the practical side, having you know worked in trade operations myself, is that um, you have peak periods. Uh, you know, one of them normally is in the in the UK is Easter because there's a fr- Good Friday and Easter Monday holidays where the rest of the world doesn't really have those holidays. So when we were, um, I, you work at HSBC and we would be planning for that coming back on the uh, on the Tuesday after Easter would be a you know like. Uh, two or three days extra documents coming in and ma- managing what is normally a holiday period for a number of the, s- the people who have their kids are on holidays managing that I kind of envisage something similar but for a longer period because at the moment a lot of shipments have not been coming from China or Asia because of the uh, corona over there and then we're not looking at potentially like a, a major flow at the same time and whether that capability is there across on the operations side um, and also on the funding side to, to enable that flow. Um, and that's where, as you talk about on the digital side, there are a number of um, uh, technologies available mm. where can speed up that flow on the checking of the documents potentially. Mm. Um, but I am slightly concerned about when that uh, trade picks up again, mm. the ability to actually process it. You know, we, the classic one is, you know, five days to check documents. Mm. Now, some banks have the big teams and they can cope with that five days. But if you have a smaller team in a smaller bank um, do and maybe, you know, one or two people are sick, can you actually make up that flow? Um, mm. and I was wondering, has any discussions been had about, you know, the, 
the reg the like I the UCP or anything ability to keep to those days um, in the future? Uh, well, I think it's a really good question. I mean, I think what's interesting about this coronavirus is is, is all what I'm calling the sort of sub-stories, you mm. know, there's the, the big headlines which we see in the papers every day, but actually some of it's the the, the real challenges are a little bit underneath that, exactly as you said, you know, can, you know, um, it's not just the, the documentation, it's it's things like commodities, you know, there's no one buying commodities. Yeah. So there's a, there's a huge stockpile mounting up on things like copper um you know and and ultimately that would lead to a big surplus in the system that will have a down downward pressure on pricing it will have a downward pressure on uh on trade in general and, and we don't know yet what the impact of all of that's going to be uh, and as you quite rightly say when people do come back into the offices is there going to be a mountain of of, uh, of papers to, to to process and if so what's the capacity to do that um, I guess time will tell um, exactly how that's going to play out, but it is a big concern for sure. Uh, and obviously more broadly, the concern is that there'll be a lot of companies who have been under enormous stress for the last three years, particularly here in, in the UK with Brexit on top of everything else going yeah. on. You know, uh, if the, you know, the regional airline Flybe that went bust, 2,000 yeah. jobs went uh, a couple of weeks ago. There'll be companies, quite a number of companies in the, in the economy who will be like that, you know, literally living on the edge. They don't have the cash to uh, to sustain um, the, the pressure that they're under, uh, and so you know the risk is we see more companies, good companies, going going bust as a result, and of course that will have an impact on everybody. Yeah, and um, one of the, the, the things that uh, you know we're looking to do at LIBF is you know on the supporting side is that you know with a number of uh, people who potentially are not able to go to their offices. There's that side as well, um, providing them ways to, to do more of the education. Um, so we're looking mm. to do some webinars to, um, to help people keep up to speed with some of the things. And uh, you know maybe there's some of the things on the, the, the digital side that we could be looking at in the future, mm. um, because that might be interesting because the, the timing now, this is like a perfect storm, sometimes crisis actually enable things to happen you know we're seeing this with a lot more people um you know using the technology for video calls maybe in, in the future less people will travel to do these meetings mm -hmm. they realize that, that it can be done um uh you know on a video quite effectively mm -hmm. um but you know, a number of people are looking to you know, still you know while they're at home maybe do some of the learning and uh, the digital side that's a real opportunity for everybody to seize to push the agenda forward yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, you know, we, we can't influence everything. We, we've just got to focus on what we're, what we're doing. And I think this kind of uh, uh, initiatives are, are all for the better. Uh, and if that means that we can accelerate that work uh, over the coming months, then we'll come out stronger, even if we know more broadly there'll be winners and losers in the whole situation. But, you know, let's grab the moment and, and let's, let's do exactly that. I, th I think it's absolutely spot on. And the more of us getting involved in it, the better, I think. Well, but, but, you know, these initiatives were already in play. And, mm. and that's the beauty of what you're working on. It's not like you've, you're suddenly, it's a new thing. You've already been playing this um, unfortunate situation. Maybe we'll accelerate uh, that moving forward. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So, um, you know, back to the the ICC. You know, what a number of the things are you're, you're in contact. You hear things from the business side. You've, you've talked about some of that, mm. but I think what you've mentioned some of the anecdotes. Do you have any more sort of stories to share with us about various things you've heard, um, just generally about the work that you're doing with ICC and what you can be doing to uh, help in the future? 
Well, I mean, you know, you know, we're obviously keeping a, a, a close eye on the news, uh, like everybody else is. Um, well, in that respect, you're heading to Sky News a bit later, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we've been in the news a lot uh, um, uh, over the last week or two, and uh, we're in the news an awful lot last year, uh, mostly around the sort of Brexit. This year, it seems to be mostly with coronavirus. Well, that's interesting because people actually are now saying they'd rather hear about Brexit because that was it occupied all the news, but actually, compared to what situation is now, it, it was. More, it wasn't so stressful the news. I think potentially it's well, a weird we'll, situation, isn't we'll it? We'll come back to Brexit towards the second half of the year because that's <laughs> when the big moment comes when uh, you know the the so-called EU deal is done. Uh, and you know there are, there are also um, you know opportunities and especially around finance. You know in terms of the uh, the EU negotiations, but also US negotiations. You know the three biggest service economies are all in negotiation around new trade deals and that actually offers up a big opportunity to push the rest of the world and raise the standard just like countries like Singapore, Chile uh, and New Zealand have done with their new sort of trilateral trade agreement. It's the gold standard out there and we've got the perfect opportunity to, to, to match that and perhaps even better it and in the process raise raise the standard worldwide. Well it's ironic with all that occupation of time on Brexit whether you're, you were for it or against it it's, it's fortunate that we actually a decision was made one way or the other because if it was still in that limbo when we're dealing with all this coronavirus thing it would be maybe too much for, you know for a government to take yeah i mean you know brexit um you know you can look at this in different ways i mean ultimately brexit's happened yeah. you know the decision's been made and, and that's the path of the uk for the next 30 40 years at least um so we've just we've just got to move it forward and make the best of it yeah but in terms of timing, I mean, it couldn't be a worse timing, really. Uh, um, and I mean, who, who would have predicted coronavirus, you know, this time last year? Nobody. It comes out of nowhere. But it does go to show that, you know, um, making these kind of decisions, um, you know, can seem like the right thing at the time. Uh, but it's not until you're faced with a, with a global crisis like this, which do come around. You know, this is not the first time yeah. that suddenly you're put under twice as much stress as you perhaps would be before. But as we've said before, therein lies some opportunities as well. So we've got to grab the opportunities uh, and they are there, like I've already mentioned around trade agreements, big opportunities to move the whole liberalization of trade and services forward. That's now 50% of global trade. You know, good trade, trading goods is decreasing, trade in services is increasing. Uh, but trade in services really is not serviced in the same in the same way in terms of rules and, and legislation as trading goods. So there's a real big opportunity there for us to grab, and the UK should be right at the centre of that conversation because uh, it's not quite as easy for the US at the moment, particularly all uh, the EU or China who are all kind of uh, battling it out with trade wars and what have you. Um, you know, there's a space for the UK to really put forward some genuine proposals and solutions on the table, and we've got to grab those moments. Um, uh, and make the best of it, like I say. Yeah, so on the you know, on the services side, that's something. That's the kind of thing. I was, you know, we we forget that the whole part of the services industry within the UK, mm. us that are maybe dealing with trade operations side, seeing the documents coming in of various types of goods, but they will also see more coming related to services, maybe like guarantees, standby letters yep. of credit, yep. uh, upping the number of those. And one of the things that my colleagues here at LIBF we were thinking about. You know how will everything change in terms of the future, and we were we were wondering. I'm interested in your thoughts that because of all the things that have been going on, could there be a temporary um, uh, move back to more LCs potentially collections? I don't know what your thoughts are on that because there's been this major upset that 
you know, where people have been maybe dealing with open account, they maybe want letters of credit to enable them to get pre-shipment finance. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I have uh, any at the moment. I mean, it's um, it's a space to watch, isn't it? There's so much going on. It's hard sometimes to kind of pinpoint, you know, where you know what what the true impacts will be and what the trends will be. Yeah, there's it, just too much movement. Um, uh, so I think we have to, uh, particularly at the moment, um, you know, deal with the crisis in front of us right now. Um, let the dust settle, and then we'll we'll kind of know. But but the trend overall is downward uh, on on you know, documentation uh, yeah. in general, letters of credit, certainly. Um, although in different regions, you know, these these um, uh, methods are used differently. So in Asia, they're more popular than they are over here. But, you know, the, the, the trend really long-term is digital, isn't it? Is to get into whether it's blockchain or similar type technologies, uh, is to move the data uh, in, in a digital form rather than on pieces of paper. But we've got to get away from this trade documentation. It is crazy that we have four billion documents floating around the system, uh, and we're still operating on on systems that go back to the 1800s and and before. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense when we've got the technology in front of us to deal with all of it, you know, uh, in a much faster, quicker way. And of course, the the ultimate goal has got to be to move from, uh, you know, processing in weeks and months to hours and days. Uh, that's got to be the goal so that we can do transactions faster, we can move trade faster. Uh, everybody will gain from that. Well, you know, in relation to that, one, I've been at a number of conferences recently, and uh, uh, the GTR had a conference in India. We're talking about trade digitization. And there was an acknowledgement that, you know, the larger corporates, the, the big names that we know, they are more, let's say, into this. Um, but one of the speakers mentioned that there isn't. You know, for the lower down the SMEs and even mm. the smaller sole ownership type things, they're not really embracing the whole trade mm. digitization side because they maybe don't have the technology, but also there's a, there's an expense. Mm. So you are seeing, you know, the major, say maybe um, some of the commodity side mm. um, or the major corporates. So what what do you think about if somebody was to say that back to you about? There is that digitization side, but it's not percolating all the way down to the smaller mm. businesses, which make up a large proportion of the economy. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was at a, um, a conference with sort of fast growth startups um, and sort of technology type businesses just a couple of weeks ago and they were exactly the same, very cynical. Oh, nice. um, but I, you know, I think you've got to sort of separate the two things. Haven't we? we're, we're still at very early, early days of testing uh, uh, new technology and bringing that technology into our day-to-day lives. And of course, the, 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 the companies doing that tend to be tier ones. Yeah. So Shell is doing its first electronic bill of lading right now. Okay. Uh, it's a massive moment for, for Shell, but also not just Shell, the other big energy companies as well. Uh, yeah, there'll be more experiences in, uh, like that. And of course, what will happen is that those practices, the learning from those practices will trickle down through the supply chains. And that's when you know, mid-sized companies and SMEs and, and perhaps even micro companies start to feel um, what this means on a day-to-day basis. But I think the mistake is to dismiss it. Uh, there's a big mistake to be cynical about it. You know, this drive on te- technology is happening. Digitization is happening. So I think for the smaller companies, it's to be, just to be aware of that this is the direction we're moving in. Uh, clearly, it's the bigger companies with the capability who are testing the technologies and the big banks and so on. And, and just to keep a watching eye on what, you know, what, what's happening, what's being achieved, and also what will that mean in the future? Because it will certainly come in the next two, three years, if not before, 
um, when we're all going to be doing this kind of thing. So I think that's that's the way to look at it. It's 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 got a different meaning at the smaller end. I think we have to accept that, but I, I really encourage people not to be cynical about it. Don't get too stuck in the technologies either. This is not about a single technology like blockchain. Yeah. Been a lot of talk about that over the last few years. Uh, this is about technology in general, and there may well be new solutions coming on stream which are not, te- you know, not There's, blockchain. There'll be ones out there that we don't even know. Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. But they are coming. There's yeah. no question. And other countries are moving at, at a hell of a lot faster rate than than we are. So it's about interoperability. Interoperability, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at some of the stuff going on in Africa right now, it's unbelievable. You know, uh, it's way ahead of here in terms of what they're doing on mobile phones. Way ahead. Well, exactly, because one know. of the things that at that conference in India, somebody was talking about. You ha- there was um, on the supply chain side a technology available, which was quite in depth and quite sophisticated, but. That, you know, when the lower down the supply chain, you've got the actual grower of a commodity mm-hmm. who just wants to send a, an invoice using WhatsApp. Yep. And so whilst you have something that's all sophisticated, uh, they haven't actually thought down to the lower level. And that mm-hmm. wouldn't be, once you get the feedback, it wouldn't be difficult to, to, to make it work that mm-hmm. way. But it's sometimes the, the, the sort of simpler side is forgotten. And I think with the things that you talk about in Africa, they'll be able to cover more because you're using a phone it's more mm. accessible for people because um, a lot of people when doing their business they're not using um, uh, you know their laptops I mean I just yeah. saw some data it was amazing on about um, the people doing our courses at LIBF and they're doing learning and a lot of them about 30% are looking at the inf- the content on their phones Wow. Um, now maybe that's because they're on the way to on the train or whatever mm. the bus and that's a way they don't want to get the laptop out uh, and maybe uh, I'm sure that they're young way much younger than I am better eyesight but you know that just shows to me that you know a lot more stuff is going on on phones um, and that will be the way of the future oh 100% um, you know the challenge it's always easier isn't it in a way in, in, a, in a market without their legacy you know for countries like the UK or Europe or US uh, it's the legacy infrastructure that's yeah. the challenge. It's not. It's not the fact that we're all going in the same direction. We are all going in the same direction. But you've got a, a, an enormous opportunity in in markets like Kenya to just leapfrog everybody because you just don't have all that. You know, very practical things. Whether it's kind of copper wire, mm. you know, systems that we all have to contend with. They don't have to deal with any of that. They can just go straight to mobile. Exactly. Uh, a lot of countries where you know the, there was no. F- decent phone network but they've just leapfrogged they don't have landlines anymore they just go straight to having a cellular network and that's why when I was you know visiting the states a few years ago you're they're still you know the credit cards they're still using um, yeah. signing I know it's amazing isn't yeah, it? but you know here yeah. we're all contactless and yeah. chip and pin yeah. um, and that's because they, the states they adopted early technology and there's yeah. a legacy and a period where it has to be used yeah. for so there's all these complex issues going on around the whole thing <laughs> yeah it's amazing when you look at you know, especially around things like training and education you know if you look on a typical train journey you know it wasn't that long ago everybody was reading the papers yeah. or a book nobody's doing that really now everyone everyone is on their phone yeah it's incredible uh, and they're doing everything on the phone whether they're checking their emails watching a film you know listening to a podcast or, or whatever you know it's you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that is the the access point to the way we live our lives today and that's only going to get more so as, as time goes on well it's ironic because um i sort of listen less to music now because when i'm traveling i sort of listen to the podcasts and and 
maybe there'll be people um, maybe would have been listening to this on their commute by the way maybe listening to this at home now <laughs> um, in, terms of that, in terms of like maybe summarising as we move to a close just wondering if there's anything you wanted to maybe I haven't covered anything you wanted to cover or summarise on uh, no, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, I, I you know, I think it's um, it is a time of challenge, no question. But there is opportunity. I think you know the message from 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 us is positive. Um, you know, let's get engaged. Let's shape the future. There are opportunities to be had, particularly around training and education space, uh, and and in terms of the finance industry around the paperless trade agenda. You know, let's grab the moment while we have it in front of us. It is a once in a lifetime moment. So let's not let that pass by because the opportunity to kind of really transform the way we work. Uh, and the way we do trade is right in front of us right now over the next year or two. So let's grab the moment. Yeah, thanks very much, Chris. Uh, that, ending that, that, grabbing the moment, I c- couldn't agree more. Thanks so much for coming in today. And thanks, everybody, for l- listening. And uh, we'll be doing more of these. But uh, thanks very much for the first one. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to listen to more of these episodes, always consider subscribing on your chosen podcast platform. Make sure to go onto our website to find out more information about our trade finance qualifications and follow us on our social channels to keep engaged in the conversations throughout the industry. All the links to further information are in the description.